These axioms that I'm giving you, I'm covering very briefly. I have told you that from the beginning. I'm hardly saying anything about them. Each one of them deserves a sermon series. The truth being told, each one of them has one or more sermon series that I have preached to you over the years, and they are linked in the 23-page outline backing up these 54 axioms. And I have limited myself for each axiom to but 10 lines. This has been one of the hardest outlines I have ever constructed to try to figure out how many axioms and how deep to go on each one. That is a geometric problem of enormous proportions for your pastor. But we're finishing it, and it will be published, the Lord willing, before I go to bed this evening. The benefit of this table in front of you is the combination because each one of these axioms creates a parameter within which we live our lives. And one of those parameters is liberty, which means we get to move around inside this, these parameters as how the Lord leads each one of us. Right. And yet there are walls that we cannot cross or we're outside the only right worldview. I hope you can see that. Review of this table is necessary for you and your family so that we learn these things and instinctively respond to events in the world or events in our lives the right way. And exercise is needed. You've got to look at an event, ask your children, put the table in front of them, which one of these axioms would answer this event? What a, that's the best education you could ever give your family. The stuff they get from their packets and from their school is far inferior to being given a real-world event instead of theory and being asked, how do we apply the Bible to that event? So review and exercise is needed. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 5 that we ought to have our senses exercised to discern good and evil. And we all know what exercise is. That means doing the same boring, painful thing over and over again. And the same boring, painful thing over and over again in this case is learning these 54 axioms and applying them. That would be the best education you could give your children. Listen to these few verses, and I hope our children learn some or all of them. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. What a statement. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Yes, Lord. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And amen. And so Solomon closes his book of Ecclesiastes. If you look at your table in front of you, I have there at the top that these axioms are true, but underneath it, I have given the six that I hope you'll remember and think about in life and as you read the Bible, that God's revealed things to us six different ways, at least. (laughs) At least. By creation, Psalm 19, Romans chapter 1. By providence, Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 17. Nature, Romans chapter 1. Conscience, Romans chapter 2. 
Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 6, and Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 1. All these things God's used to communicate to us. And I've shared them already before we've reached this point. Our Father in heaven has given us a multitude of witnesses for the truth of the universe. And we should embrace it. When you look at that table, we start with number one, God is. I will not be able to pass this way again with you most likely in my life. God is. God gave scripture. Thank you, blessed God. Amen. What if he was some kind of a deistic God that did not give us scripture and tell us about himself, about us, and what we can do to please him and what he has in store for us? He's told us everything. Amen. Number five, Jehovah is the only God. Never be confused. Be very careful about the, the indiscriminate use of the word God. God is not a name. Our God has a name, and it is not Allah, and it is not Brahma, and it is not Vishnu, and it is not Baal. It's Jehovah, and it's not Yahweh. Number seven, God rules over all things. Thank you, Lord. The Lord reigneth in the Bible. Amen. Capital L-O-R-D, tying five and seven together. Are you able to look at the Bible and see these everywhere you look? The Lord reigneth, meaning Jehovah reigns. I think we have a song named that. Jehovah reigns. And we love to sing it. Number 12 was Wednesday evening. God saved us unconditionally. Because of that, number 13 tells us that religion has a limited role. You don't need me to get to heaven. You don't need your parents to get to heaven. You don't need a pope. You don't need a priest, cardinal, archbishop, or bishop. Because he saved us unconditionally through the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Number 25, judgment day is coming. Don't ever forget it. Soberly think about it. You will give an account of every thought. You will give an account of every word, every action, every sin of omission by not doing what you should have, every sin of commission. It's a warning. It's truth. We're told in advance, he will not surprise us, he's told us. Number 33, angels are very active in the world. Yes, Lord, thank you. Naomi, angels, angels are very active in the world. Remember our conversation this morning about how there's angels in this room, but you can't see them? And there's an angel in your bedroom, but you can't see him. But he's there and he'll protect you. Number 40, death according to the Bible. We understand death. We know where it came from. We know its nature. We know what it does. We know what it doesn't do. Death does not annihilate the soul. Very important. Amen. Death according to the Bible. The Spirit lives on. Jesus said to the thief, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The thief lived on, but the body dies. But the body is resurrected. We know the cure for death. We know that death doesn't hit our spirit. And so 40 is important. In 41, God sends confusion. So when we look at the Bible and we find difficult passages that many have corrupted to their destruction, we know that God designed it that way. We know that when we look into the world and we see all the isms 
and that only a few people left on earth truly practice apostolic religion, God sends confusion like he did at the Tower of Babel. And so now we come to Axiom 45, and you think that you had 45. Because if you brought your former table with you, it had 45 on it. But I got rid of one and wrapped it. I got rid of libertarianism and stuck it into politics so that it's there, but I shrunk it so I could get rid of one so that I could make myself happy with my total of 54 because I had another one that was weighing heavily on me that I needed to get in and it was more important than libertarianism. Number 45. The conversations that I've had with a couple of you this very morning are answered right here. Prayer changes things. Number 45. Number 45, prayer changes things. This is an incredible axiom. I have preached an 11-sermon series, I believe that was the number, many, many years ago called Effectual Prayer. And it goes into prayer in great detail. But I'm just, I've got five to seven minutes on prayer right now. But prayer changes things is number 45. We have power, influence, in a universe ruled by the Creator and His certain providence that's been described in the first 44 axioms. Is that incredible? I mean, we, one of the axioms is Jehovah. One of the axioms is He created all things for Himself. Another axiom is He rules all things. But we have influence with that Creator. We have influence with that infinite God. Because He's our Father and He's given us influence, we can wrestle with Him. You can change world history. If you would give God five extra minutes on your knees a day in fervent prayer, you can change things. You say, but God's already determined what He's going to do. Yes, He determined it by seeing you on your knees an extra five minutes from this day forward in your life. You say, does it really work like that? It absolutely works just like that. Because known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. Look at James chapter 5. If you're still in Revelation there at the end of the Bible, you're not far away. James chapter 5, we just want a little part of this verse. There's two sentences in this verse. I want the second sentence of James 5 and verse 16. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That means prayer changes things. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You can change things a lot with prayer. Prayer can change history or world events. You can extend the tranquility of America by prayer. Your prayer, petitioning heaven, will do far more than signing your name on a petition to be sent to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Petition God rather than petition men. We can still petition men and sometimes once in a while for a good cause and a carefully supported petition. I'll sign it, but petitioning heaven's the most weighty thing we can do for our nation. Things are already determined, but God has determined them on foreseen prayer. Was God going 
to burn up Nineveh in 40 days. Be careful. He already knew they were going to repent. So he wasn't going to burn up Nineveh in 40 days. The word was, Nineveh in 40 days shall be overthrown. But it included the conditional understanding that if they repent, it'll be saved. And we never want to be fatalistic about prayer. You can change things. Well, I've prayed off and on for this thing for 20 years, and, and nothing's changed yet. Well, stop praying off and on. It's the effectual prayer. Praying off and on is an effectual prayer. You say, what's effectual prayer? That's prayer that's effective based on God's rules for prayer. And do you know what one of his rules for prayer is? Pray without ceasing. So what you just told me is you cease more than you pray. Just do it God's way. The verse is true. You say, well, I'm just a loser. I can't even rule my own spirit. That's why God gave you James 5, 17. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Does that change world history? That changes the world. By world history, I mean, you can change the course of nature. You can change the course of nations. And this nation didn't get rain for three and a half years, and he was a man subject to like passions as we are. That is very comforting. This man, after his great zeal of destroying the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, went and sat under a juniper tree and begged the Lord to take his life. He was suicidal in 24 hours. I'm glad there's no one like that in this room (laughs) that can go up and down that fast and that far. But Elias, notice why and where we're told that about Elijah right here for you to lay hold of prayer. God has adopted us as his sons. That is not just a doctrinal concept. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He treats us like children. He said, if any of you have a son, ask a fish, will you give him a stone? Ask an egg, will you give him a scorpion? No earthly father would do that. And And the Lord Jesus said, but your heavenly father is far better than you sinful fathers how much more will he give those that ask him? Can you lay hold of that? That's the Bible rule about prayer. Prayer changes things. Our worldview, we are not fatalists. We are not Muslims. Whatever will be, shall be. Oh, prayer changes things. Right. We're not Muslims. We're not fatalists. We're not absolute or pre- primitive Baptists. We're believing children of God that understand the Bible. Lord, help us to lay hold of prayer. Sons can reason or negotiate with God because he's our father. Do you remember Abraham negotiating down from 50 to 10 for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? How about Jacob wrestling with the Lord? And the Lord said, let me go. And Jacob said, I will not let you go. Can you talk to the Lord that way? Have you ever talked to the Lord that way? Jacob did. God changed his name to a better name because of that. Because God loved what Jacob did by not giving up. Did Moses ever reason with the Lord? Many, many, many times when God would have destroyed the nation of Israel, but Moses saved them. Joshua told the Lord, listen, I'm running out of daylight and we don't have lights out here. Will you please stop the sun and the moon so we can finish this battle? Is that altering world history just a little bit? So if the sun stops moving, 
Hezekiah lays out a letter before the Lord. Look at this. Do you see what they've said about you? Do you see what they've said about you? What are you going to do about it? The virgin daughter of Zion hath laughed thee to scorn. She hath tossed her head at thee. How's that for an answer to prayer? You know what happened that night? 185,000 battle-hardened Assyrian soldiers went to the happy hunting ground. But it wasn't happy, and they didn't hunt. But they were in the ground. They were dead corpses in the morning. Prayer has opened barren wombs. Prayer has stopped the sun, altered lions' nature, defeated armies. Fate is the insane hopelessness of reprobates. Faith is the power to move mountains. If ye had faith, like a grain of mustard seed, thank you, Brother Leon, I still have it, sitting at full exposure. For me to see how small those little mustard seeds are, if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. You could say to this mountain, go and jump into the sea. And it's not to be taken literally, but metaphorically for the mountains in your life. Prayer changes things. It's part of our hopeful world outlook. We can change things. And we don't change things by their means. We change things by God's means. We can change our government by prayer. We can change our economy by prayer. We believe, we have said so in times past, that the prayers of this church, specifically made for 40 years about our nation, has helped prolong our nation. If you don't believe that, you don't believe the Bible. You should fold it up right now and leave. Because you don't believe the Bible. God teaches us how to pray. God hears prayers, delights in prayers. These are all things the Bible says about prayer, and I'm just going to give you a few of them. Answers prayer, enhances prayer. Does he enhance your praying by the Holy Ghost? Does he enhance your praying by angels with incense in heaven? And he exceeds prayer. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above what we ask or even think. Praise God. Jesus is God's beloved son, and praying in his name is powerful. I've shown you that recently. Fasting adds further fervency and effectivity to prayer. Matthew 17, 21, Jesus told the father of the lunatic, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. That verse is not in other Bibles because it's part of the only right worldview which we have distinct from them, even though they call themselves Christians. Matthew 17, 21 is not in their Bibles, but it is in our Bible that sometimes you will face obstacles like that father with the lunatic son. Even the apostles could not cast the devils out of that lunatic son. But Jesus explained to his apostles later, this kind, this kind, this degree of difficulty doesn't go out except by prayer and fasting. And it's all in the Bible. We're told how to do that. That's a big mountain. That's a big, that's Everest. You turned upside down and shoved down into the Mariana Trench Mm -hmm. by a little bit of faith, prayer, and fasting in that particular case. Our worldview is not hopeless. Right. Amen. You know, we start off by humbling ourselves in the dust before God. Those first few axioms. Then we get to this one, and He's our Father, and we get to wrestle with Him. Reason with Him, run crying into His office, 
and he hears it. You say, where is that in the Bible? It's Psalm 18. And if you don't know Psalm 18, it is 2 Samuel 22. Run crying into his office, begging for help. And he turns heaven upside down. And the answer is, then the earth shook. Because David ran into his office crying in his time of trouble. And God rode upon the clouds of heaven and came to his rescue. And if you think of that passage as anything less than that, you don't believe the Bible either. Because to believe their only right worldview, we've got to believe the Bible as it's given to us. Because number two says God gave scripture. Number four tells us scripture is absolute truth. Run into his office. He'll turn the universe upside down, coming to your rescue. And that's what Psalm 18 is all about. David knew how he had won his battles. By my God, I have run through a troop. And by my God, I have leaped over a wall. But it's by my God. Number 46. And we got to pick up the pace. Number 46, philosophy by the Bible. Our worldview requires us to have a philosophy that matches with the Bible, not with the world. Philosophy by the Bible, number 46. Philosophy is the study of man's origin, his purpose, goals, duties, profit, pleasure in life. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. In the Divine Library, we have a philosophical book called Ecclesiastes. When we go into the Divine Library, there are 66 volumes there, and one of them is about philosophy. Bad philosophy, assumed and taught by men, corrupts worldviews. Paul, dealing with the philosophers in Athens, Greece, exposed their superstition, exposed their ignorance. God's winked at your ignorance. Do you know what that was like to have the Apostle Paul, this rude in appearance, crude in appearance, base in appearance, that's what he says about himself, as a Jew standing on Mars Hill telling them that in all things they are altogether too superstitious, and God's winked at your ignorance in times past, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. He had the reproving ministry of God's apostles, and it was a glorious display that is in Acts chapter 17. Jehovah is perfect logic. There, there is no logic outside of Jehovah God as the presupposition for all our thinking. And there is no logic outside of what Jehovah has ordained as logic. The rules of math, physics, and logic work because God makes them work. God gave them to us. He is logic. Wait till you see Isaiah chapter 1. Come, let us, let's emote together. Come, let us have a sensitivity session together. Come, let us sing together. No, come, let us reason together saith the Lord. Look at Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41. Isaiah is, is, is at the door. It's knocking at the door. This book is so fabulous and has such variety. You know what? You should know Isaiah 41 by now. When I say a 40 number, you should know that God is boasting about himself. Right. Isaiah 41. Here's philosophy and logic. Verse 21. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let men bring their very best arguments. Bring your cause. Bring your best reasons. 
your strong reasons. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things, what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare us things for to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that ye are gods. Yea, do good or do evil that we may be dismayed and behold it together. Behold, ye are of nothing, and your work of naught, an abomination, is he that chooseth you. And that is true of all earthly philosophers as well as idolaters. Philosophy, the purpose of man, by the Bible only. All philosophical positions use presuppositions. Those are the arguments you must begin with because we are so finite. But our presuppositions are the only intelligent ones. And do you know where they start? Axiom number one. God is. That is our presupposition to all reasoning. God is. Theirs is. God is not. Now, when you start reasoning from God is not, what are you reasoning from? Feelings? This little thing up here? This little thing up here is very dangerous. This little thing up here is operating with such a limited perspective of reality, it can never make an intelligent decision in the big scope of moral issues, of philosophy. They accuse us of circular reasoning. We accuse them of circular reasoning. And we tell them our circular reasoning begins with God is, and that God gave Scripture, one and two. Yours begins with... God is not, there is no God, and I'm smart because I learned how to ride a tricycle. It's unbelievable. Every subject they reason about, they end up in insane vanity, like you read last night in Psalm 94. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wicked. He knows the thoughts of men. He knows all the thoughts of all men, that they are vanity. Corporal punishment. How do you train a child? They don't have a clue. Don't have a clue. Let them sit in front of Sesame Street all day. Give them Fruit Loops. What's the other colored cereal? Lucky Charms. Yeah, the ones with marshmallow. <laughs> I know about Lucky Charms, but I forgot it. Um, I have a wife that loves marshmallows. Philosophy by the Bible. What a difference that we have. Solomon and Paul were wiser than all Greeks. Both of those men found the guesses of the Greeks wanting. All the questions men have ever had are answered in the Bible and confirmed by experience. Back to child training. Laid out very clearly, very simply, in the Bible, with limits, with tools, with locations on the body, with everything. When? What to mix it with? The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself will bring his mother to shame. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Don't go too far. Don't be overbearing. Incredible. Incredible. They don't have a clue. If you've ever sat in some of their classes and you've been forced to sit in a couple of them to get a degree in our corrupt educational system, you've heard some of their garbage. Within constraints of life's vanity, by sin and death, moderate pleasures are endorsed, as we learn in the book of Ecclesiastes. All the, all the 
questions men have ever had are answered in the Bible. Right. Where did man come from? See, they don't. Why is man here? What is my purpose? What's my end? Is there something more than just eating, sleeping, and working? Incredible. The right worldview. Number 47, psychology by the Bible. That is P-S-Y-C-H, and you've got the rest. P-S-Y-C-H, psychology by the Bible. Now you say, what's the difference between philosophy and psychology? Philosophy is the study of man's origin and purpose and its goals. Psychology is the study of the mind and his behavior. With lots of subfields of psychology affecting his life. The Bible is a very psychological book in the sense that it tells us how man's mind works. And it tells us why men react the way they do. And why they behave the way they do. We could go to Romans 1, but we don't have time. Romans 1 tells us how corrupt man is and how he does things contrary to nature in his corruption and how God rewires his brain. See, they all want to rewire our brains so that we will happily embrace and accept LGBT. They want to rewire us, and they're working at it every day. But God has rewired them and he has kept our wires in the right wire nuts. Amen. Romans chapter 3. We'll turn to that one. Romans 3. Is the Bible, does the Bible deal with psychology? Psychology is the study of the mind and, ma and man's behavior. The psyche of man. Romans 3.10. There is none righteous? No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. This is psychology. God is describing the psyche of man and his behavior. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Where does evil come from? Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is psychology. Amen. Listen to this little list, just a little sample list. The Bible. Think of psychology. And listen to this little list. The Bible defines love. They cannot define love. Love equals lust to them. The Bible defines love, teaches about the human spirit, uplifts the human mind, deals with fear and tells us how to deal with it, perfects relationships, creates selfless motives, identifies happiness and how to have it, crushes pride, induces change, empowers individuals to greatness, forgives and forgets failures, promotes hope, exalts trials, builds community, teaches discipline, allowance for temperaments, and so on, in the Bible. They can't even get close. What you learned in Psych 101 was garbage. And it was garbage for a child. It was so infantile, so retarded. 
Thank you, blessed God. Amen. You know, I guess there is a benefit to a, a liberal arts education so that you all understand how stupid the world is and how wise the Bible is to see the contrast between the two. Self-love and self-esteem, which they think are the cures for man's problems, are euphemisms for narcissistic obsession and selfishness. Unbelievable to even put the words together, except as a criminal disposition. Remember, Rhonda, years and years ago, Studies have been done that the segment of the population with the most self-love and the most self-esteem are our criminals. And all it takes is a five-year-old to think, what does self-love and self-esteem mean? I'm the most important, and anyone else's rules don't matter. Equals criminal. Oh, that's deep. That's hard. But they want to, listen, James Dobson, James Dobson and these humanistic psychologists that call themselves Christians teach self-love and self-esteem as the cure for your marital problems and other problems. And the Bible says that self-love is the first of the 19 traits of the perilous times of the last days. Amen. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. What is this book worth to you? What did you pay for your average text? In college, 175, or is it 325 now, or is it 475? I can get you this for a buck, and I'll buy it for you. I remember psychology in college. When I went to class, I sat in the back corner and slept. On the last day of class, the teacher dismissed everyone and said, Crosby. Stay, I'd like to have a chat with you. He took me out in the hall and said, you didn't believe a single thing I said all semester, did you? (laughs) No, sir. Well, I have to give you an A because you did well enough on the test. (laughs) Have a nice life. And I'm not, forget the A part. I hated that stuff. Unconditional love. What an invention. It's impossible. God doesn't love unconditionally. God doesn't even come close to loving unconditionally. He doesn't love you just as you are. He loves you as he's made you in Christ Jesus. Holy and without blame before him in love. It is impossible to love unconditionally. If you would just think about it, I do not care how they look. I do not care how they act. I do not care about their character. I do not care about their conduct. Then I ask you, would you tell me what you love about them? Is it their waste matter? Tell me something intelligent. Everybody wants to be loved unconditionally because it's their excuse excuse for not living like they should. Because once your character and your conduct is taken away, there isn't anything left except animal cells. God made us a spirit being with a soul, a conscience, a mind, a heart that is to act. And that is what we love about people. 
I'm supposed to be a lover of good men. I'm not supposed to be a lover of men. Titus 1.8 says good men. There are good men, bad men in the Bible. There are virtuous women and there are unvirtuous women. There are odious women and there are gracious women. And the differences in character and conduct, it's all I can say about that. There's a whole sermons. There's sermons about that unconditional love taught decades ago because it is so simplistically stupid, wrong, and vanity. Psychology better be the Bible's psychology. There is no good in every man like they try to teach us. No matter what is taught by them, there's no good at all. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Do you know what the results of that market survey were? They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That is the Bible. That is our psychology from the Bible. Child training, which I've mentioned, is part of psychology as well. Capital punishment are right and have millennia of excellent results. How can anyone turn their back on capital punishment? That is the most obvious re result and consequence of taking a man's life to take his life so that he can't do it again and to be a precedent and an example to anyone else that would ever think about it. Bible psychology, Bible philosophy, Bible society. Noah taught it as early as Genesis 9-6. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Self-examination and Bible counseling. Since you're on psychology, pastor, and you're only taking a few minutes, what is Bible counseling? Bible counseling is identifying sin, requiring repentance, and the change from that sin. Amen. And nothing else. It is never listening to you get something off your chest. We don't want to know what you have on your chest, and God doesn't want to know what you have on your chest. He has something on his chest, and he's told you about it in the Bible, and what you should do is repent. I don't lay you on a sofa and want to hear about your marriage partner. There is no fault in your spouse. The fault is you for not dealing with the problems your spouse has. When you're talking to me, I don't care about your spouse. What are you doing? It's identifying sin, because that's Bible psychology. Right. Whenever there's a problem, there's sin. Where there's a problem, there's sin. So sort through and find the sin and identify it. That is sin. The Bible is against that. Will you repent of it? Yes, I will. Here's what you should replace it with. Yes, I will. You've just solved someone's problem. But when they start, but, 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 but what about her? What about him? What about her? What about, so what? What are you doing? Identify sin. And when the other person isn't there, we're not identifying their sins. We're looking for your sins. Right. Bible psychology. Number 48. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you've shown us. Number 48, peace. is a top priority. Number 48, our worldview. Peace is a top priority. Let's turn to Jeremiah 29. Just for a, there's, there have been sermons preached about peace, and sermons could be preached about peace. We just get a few minutes with it. Peace is a top priority. Our God is the God of peace. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ came to bring peace on earth. 
and we want to be at peace. We want to be at peace in our close family relationships, our marital relationship. We want to be at peace in our church. We want to be at peace with our colleagues at work. We want to be at peace with our neighbors. We want to be at peace as much as lieth in us with all men. Because the Bible tells us that. Peace. Jeremiah 29. Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Always remember, God rules all things, even bad events in your life. He's using for your profit, your pleasure, if you'll respond profit properly, but he's always doing it for his glory because he's chastening Israel. I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. It had nothing to do with Nebuchadnezzar, except he was God's saw. Build ye houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters. Build your family tree, that ye may be increased there and not diminished, and seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. This is one example of many for our worldview, so that though we are at we are at war with the world. Christianity is at war with the world. We want our nation to be at peace. America is our Babylon, and we want Babylon to be at peace so that in her peace we can have peace. Just common sense. We don't want war. We don't want conscription. We want peace. And so here's the example of hated Babylon. In the Bible, there's no city and there's no empire as hated as Babylon. Yet, pray for the peace of Babylon. Wonderful for us. A wonderful lesson for us. Christianity is at war with the world, but our God has called us to peace. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and remind yourself about Goss living. Goss living. When you see the trucks running around Greenville with GOS on the side, they have listened to this sermon. Forget Greenville office supply. They do have trucks running around Greenville with GOS on the side. I've had members want to text my wife and tell them that they had seen 1 Corinthians 10 on the highway. I love these verses, and I, I enjoyed trying to summarize them for you a couple of years back. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Whether therefore ye eat, or drink, or whatsoever ye do, that covers life because it's right down to the basics of eating and drinking. Or whatsoever you do, do all the glory of God. There's the G. Everything we do, eat, drink to the glory of God. The thunder was mentioned in the back room this morning, to the glory of God. Because it's the voice of God. When you eat or drink, when you taste something good, do you say, this is incredible what God made? Has God made? You say, man did. No, he didn't. Man is cheese. Unless God gave man ability to make different cheeses. Are there different cheeses in the world? You know, I grew up thinking there was only one. Velveeta. <laughs> you know what? Melted on toast, it was awesome. I'm telling tell A grilled cheese sandwich with Velveeta? I'd take a couple right now if you could do them without the bread. <laughs> the Lord has blessed us so abundantly. Can you do everything to the glory of God? 
a cheese platter with the variety. It's incredible what, what the Lord's given us. All coming out of that cow that just stands out there all day long, chewing its cud, coughing it back up, chewing it again, coughing it back up, chewing it again for you, <laughs> for me. The Lord is so good. Everything is for the glory of God. Let's get to verse 32. Give none offense. There's the O. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor the church of God. Is there anyone left out of verse 32 that you should be offending? No, you should not offend any. So that's the O of God's. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. There's the S. The glory of God. No offense to save others. That's the God's way of living. That's the Bible way of living. And peace is a top priority for us. We are the opposite of the Roman Catholic Church's inquisitions. They weren't for peace. They were for war. Notice the word war that was used in the Bible against us by the Catholics. But we are not at war that way. We're at war against their isms, but we live in peace with them. And we pray for their peace. And we seek their peace. And we treat them kindly. We're the opposite of Islam's jihadists. We're the opposite of Japan's kamikazes. That is why you have to look at an update once in a while and see that person in the state of Washington I'm not going to call that a woman. That person in the state of Washington in trouble for being a florist and not serving a gay wedding. That, world, that worldly offense that she's created for her principle when she doesn't even know what length of hair to have is ethically stupid, disgraces the gospel, and brings the wrath of those wicked people on us. If we're going to treat them that way, then they should be allowed to treat us that way. And since they are going to be in the majority very shortly, we are in serious trouble because of people like that that don't have a modicum of wisdom. They've never been taught wisdom. Her pastor doesn't have any. She doesn't know how to read the Bible. She's out to make a name for herself by thinking she stands for principle. All it is is pride. It's not principle. If she believed in principle, she'd have the long hair that's a glory to a woman that is taught in 1 Corinthians 11 and about a thousand other things. Is she asking every wedding she goes to if the opposite sex male and uh, groom and bride had fornicated before they got married? Does she ask that question? Does she have a questionnaire? You opposite sex people that I'm bringing flowers to, did you ever fornicate? Have you both honored your parents right now, and are you in a perfect relationship with them? Have you filed your tax return correctly? Have you had an evil thought in the last one year? She should have a questionnaire, because there is no difference in the sins. Right. I can't preach that subject again. I've preached it in Bible ethics. The Lord has taught us things like that. Women like that are what are going to bring us to the rack. Right. We will be on the rack because of that person and the baker in Colorado. Because they are going to view it because they are already twisted minds. We are going to abuse them that way. They're going to abuse us. When it, when it tells us about the 1260 years of Roman domination of Europe, it says that the Christians could not buy or sell. If we're not going to transact business with them, 
when they deny business transactions with us, we'll be out of jobs and business. They have no idea what they're doing, just idiots. Right. Peace. She's seeking peace. The best employee I ever had when I ran my own business was a lesbian. I thank God for that lesbian that he sent me. Fantastic worker. So faithful, so loyal, never missed a day, so respectful, understood I was a Christian, never a problem. Was there? Sons, daughters. Wonderful. I've worked with atheists. I've worked with Jews. I've worked with Hindus. There's the verse. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the Church of God, nor to LGBT, nor to atheists, nor to Jews, nor to Hindus. Okay, Lord, I get it. That's peace. Peace. Peace, brethren, peace. Peace. Churches must be peaceful, so our church should be at peace. Division undermines kingdoms, Jesus taught. Unity is to be emphasized. You're at 1 Corinthians. Look at chapter 1 and this powerful verse that Paul starts out this first epistle with to the Corinthians because there was division in the church and because the household of Chloe had written him and told him in verse 11 that there were contentions among the membership. I love this verse. See if you can count the references in this one verse for peace. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's dropping the most important name possible. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Are there about six wonderful statements of unity there? That is how our church should get along. And we've got to make sure it does. God hates those that sow discord, for their spirit is from hell. James chapter 3 tells us. Proverbs 6 tells us God hates who sows discord among brethren. James chapter 3 tells us that that wisdom is from beneath. Satan takes advantage of grudges or lack of forgiveness and will bring it about to murder and will destroy ourselves. Number 49. Authority to be exalted. Authority to be exalted. Number 49. Authority to be exalted. Say, I don't like authority. Well, most of us didn't. In one, in one way or another, many of us have barked back against authority in our lives, and God has given us a gift by changing us on that subject. Right. I was a rebel son. I was a rebel student of a public school system. I was a vandal. I was a rebel against the government. In my youth, I was a rebel. No wonder, beating my mind and heart brainless with the Who's message from England, won't get fooled again. Go listen. No. Read the lyrics of that song sometime, pounding me. The Lord's been very kind to us. Amen. I could name some of you, but I just did myself. Civil rulers are to be called gods. 
children and youth are to rise up before the hoary head. Incredible. Give honor to the old man. He that setteth light by his father or his mother to be killed. 1 Peter 2.18, show all good fidelity and submission to forward masters, let alone good masters. Hebrews 13.7, obey them that have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God. We deserve judgment for the way that we have treated authority at times in our lives, but the Lord's had mercy upon us and taught us how to respect it, and we want to exalt it because God exalted. God ordained five spheres of authority, the husband over Eve in the Garden of Eden, parents over children, masters over employees, magistrates, citizens, or rulers over citizens, and pastors over people. The ultimate functionality, this is our worldview, the ultimate functionality of the world depends on all five spheres working smoothly. Right. When all five spheres work smoothly, it is a team that is wonderful, yes. the way God made it. It's win-win, win, win, win. Both natural and supernatural advantages are engaged when we properly exalt authority. When we properly treat authority, natural mechanisms fall into place where we're advanced. Supernatural mechanisms fall into place where God blesses us for honoring authority. A wise worldview obeys authority within their sphere and leaves the outcome to God. Right. Some emails this week. I have never voted before in my life. I voted for President Trump. Now look what he's doing. What do you think that writer got from me? Not voting was wrong. Voting for President Trump was right, and it doesn't matter what he does. He stands before God. God controls his heart and is fine-tuning it right now with everything he does. Every time his thumbs hit his cell phone, God's on the dial with infinite wisdom. He's never guessing. I look like I'm guessing, and I would be with a radio dial. But God is never guessing. He's just turning the hearts of kings whithersoever he will, as Proverbs 21.1 teaches us. That is none of your business what he does. That is not our responsibility what he does. The other choice that you had a couple of years ago in voting was the opposite, where every choice would have been made against anything sensible. So I had to correct that. Authority. And the point that I need to make right here is we obey the authority within the sphere and leave the outcome to God. You know, if President Trump, by executive action, enforces us to do something sinful, we will not do it. But other than that, whatever he agrees to with the LGBT community or whatever he agrees to with Mexico, Canada, or the European Union, we don't care. It doesn't affect us except indirectly. And everything affects us indirectly. It's only when we are forced ourselves will we draw a line in the sand. If you want to write him and tell him how he could better deal with the migrants, the illegal intruders coming across our southern border, write him. Just remember that you're wasting his time with your thoughts. But authority must be exalted. I want to defend him, everyone writing him and everyone saying anything about him. Let him do his job. I can't believe the outside pressure that is on him. Everyone wanting to sit in judgment on him every morning, Monday morning quarterbacks. They can't even rule their own families. 
They can't rule anything. They couldn't run a business if it was given to them with a manual. But they want to tell him how to do his job. They want to make fun of him in public. Where's Nebuchadnezzar when we need them? And timber tech wood chippers. Even the most wicked civil rulers that the world has ever had are not railed on even by holy angels in heaven. Can you handle that from 2 Peter chapter 2 and Jude chapter 1? The angels do not bring railing accusations against the worst civil rulers in the history of the world. They understand authority. They are holy angels. They know exactly what every ruler should do, and they know exactly what that ruler did not do because they are watchers and they see every aspect of every committee meeting. They have the highest security clearance. They know everything that is going on in every government. They are called the watchers, and they are watching all governments, and they do not bring railing accusations against rulers. And I used to bring railing accusations and tell jokes on a regular basis against rulers. And I thank God for forgiving me and totally changing me on this matter. And this has to be one of our axioms because our worldview is to recognize authority has its place because authority is from God. Let every soul be subject to the powers because the powers that be are from God. God made the office. God created the man. God got the man in the office. And God moves that man's heart every day of his life. He can harden Pharaoh's heart to do what he did. And he can cause our President Trump to tweet what he does. And I trust our God in all of that. It's part of our worldview. God promised blessings for honor to authority, and he promised judgment for rebellion and disrespect against authority. All of that has been taught many times in many Proverbs and sermon series. Number 49 is authority to be exalted. And these are the things God has taught us And this is what that little woman church of 1217 Revelation, she keeps the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus Christ. She has the only right worldview, and she is chased by the devil and chased by pagan and then papal Rome, and we are hated today by a whole new clientele. But may God bless us to stand true to the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.